You're listening to The Real Witches of the End Times, transmissions straight from the underworld. Doom witches, blood wizards, underworld accountants, and cloud people. Welcome back to the Real Witches of the End Times podcast. And this week I have with me Georgina Rose, otherwise known as Dot Darling, on many a platform. And I met her through our mutual friend Marco, who I did a recent episode on this podcast with about some of the problems within the Thalama community, and as well as angels and all sorts of amazing things. It was one of my favorite episodes I've ever recorded, and Marco recommended actually that I speak to you, Georgina. So I'm happy to have you here. Well, thank you for having me on. I'm Georgina. I started an Instagram back in late January, and then I started my podcast Um, It's called Occultism with a Side of Salt in March. It's a podcast all about sort of commenting on the wider occult community and sort of like trappings that people can fall into and community improvement stuff. Like we've talked about issues with, say, the love and light stuff, how pop astrology compares to traditional astrology, um, how to avoid toxic groups, et cetera, et cetera. And then relatively recently, I started my own YouTube channel called Dot Darling, where I give very beginner-friendly occult information. Um, It's sort of like I explain these mystic concepts in ways that everyone can understand because I think an issue with a lot of, like, occult books um, is that the language and the sort of, like, there's sort of a a threshold you have to cross where it can come across as really, I don't want to say pretentious, but the, the language and the way that it's written can really throw off new people. And so... I see a lot of people who are interested in like ceremonial magic, but like the sort of the age of the text freaks them out or they have trouble with the very abstract concepts. So I wanted to make a channel to help people sort of get the basics down so they're less intimidated by these really kind of complex mystic concepts and people sort of expand beyond common trendy sort of aspects that are going on in the spiritual community. Um, so that's pretty much what I do. Um, I talk a lot about like community improvement, making occultism accessible to more people. And I, in my personal practice, am a thelemite. Um, I don't only do things that would be considered thelemic. I'm sort of like a, like I'm definitely a thelemite, but I'm a little bit looser of a thelemite than you see in kind of like the older generation of thelemites. But that's where I would say I am like belief wise. All right. So for those of you listening, we just had a little bit of a technical malfunction. So we are now on Zoom now as opposed to Zencaster. But what I was going to ask Georgina after her introduction was why Dot? Why that emanation? Yeah. Um. So the name, I mean, part of it is that I just think it's kind of funny. Um, I find Dot very interesting as a Sephiroth and I find the Dot concept very complex and interesting. And so when I was trying to go with the name, um, I originally started with my Instagram under just esoterica333 with the 333 as a, um, just a, a gematria reference to the abyss. It was, it was just edgy, I guess. But, <laughs> and so I wanted to kind of keep the reference to the original name with the 333, but make it a better name than esoterica333. Um, so I just connected that to the Sephiroth dot and I was like, 
thought darling is just amusing to me. I feel like there's just kind of something ironic to follow darling after like a complex mystical concept. And I don't know, it's sort of matched with my branding of teaching mysticism in a more down-to-earth, less serious way. So I just kind of stuck with it. It entertains me, and that's what I care about. Yeah, I, it stuck out to me when I saw it because I'm not a ceremonial magician. Like I, My background is a lot more in folk magic. But, but I have a deck that's by one of my favorite artists, Peter Moerbacher, and he... Uh, it's an oracle deck, but there's uh, the the emanations from the Kabbalah tree of life in there, and so that was my that's all like my, my knowledge really about that symbolism, and it is it's I love it so much. So when I saw that your name was that, I was like, oh, that's so cool. I wonder why she picked that one. Yeah, that's actually a really cool oracle deck. I don't have it, but I've seen the art for it, and I thought about getting it just because I really liked the dot card, and then I was like, I should not buy a whole oracle deck for one card. That's that's unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, I call it my scary angel deck, uh, <laughs> and I, I take it with me places because I have like a general skepticism around angels, but Marco's helping me work through that. <laughs> Yeah, angels are scary. Um, if you're gonna like, if we're gonna talk about any entity that like freaks me out the most, angels. I don't, it's, that is like, angels kind of squick me out. Um, I don't really work with Enochian much. Um, it, angels scare me. Like, I would much rather, and I find like demonic stuff so much less stressful than doing angel stuff. Angel stuff. Angels are scary, okay? I could be being unreasonable, but they, they're a lot. It's funny that like, the more ceremonial magicians I talk to, the more of that type of feedback I get about them. And I think that's so interesting because that's like the exact opposite of what we were fed as like pop culture, right? So it's, it's something that I think is fun to talk about because like I have a book and it's all about like to work with the angels. You have to like go to the edge of the abyss and like basically realign your entire life and experience all this really intense mm -hmm. stuff and then I, I don't know so like I'm fascinated by it um but it does make me wonder too like what drew you to ceremonial magic if it wasn't angels really what drew me in is I, I started completely interested in something that I don't even practice anymore so that's that's funny I began like interested in like Appalachian folk magic because that's where I grew up and I was like I want to connect to my roots or whatever. And that did not stick. <laughs> like I found it interesting. And then I, I read the black arts by Richard Cavendish. Mm -hmm. um, and I liked it way more than any witchcraft thing I was reading. And sort of, I gravitated slowly just to becoming a ceremonial magician. It just, I think what it is, is I like the intensity of it. I like spirit work. I don't really like doing practice. Like I do almost entirely like spirit based practices. I like invoking. I invoke a lot. I do folk magic stuff. Like if I need something like quickly, but it's not really where my passion lies. And I just sort of progressively gravitated over and over and over into just mostly doing all, almost all ceremonial magic. But I don't know, I just, I was curious. I'm someone who likes to read a lot. I really like learning about traditions, even if I'm not like gonna practice them. And I don't know, there was something about ceremonial magic that just fascinated me and I just really liked it. I, I just like the way that it, that it works with spirits. I like that it's so intensive. I kind of like the, the formality of it. It just, I sort of progressively moved closer and closer to being a ceremonialist over time. And then it just happened and I'm 
now I'm, I'm where I am. Did you read um, Backwoods Witchcraft by Jake Richards? Yeah, it came out after I started practicing, I think, like a few, came out a few years later, if I remember correctly. Um, I read it like a year ago for the first time, and it's, it's very accurate, it's very good. The problem with Appalachian folk magic is that it's, it's really hard to get information on, mm-hmm. which is part of what's kind of pulled me out of it, because like, my family does like some like things that I would consider witchy, though they would never use that term. But it was really hard for me to get information. Like the, it's, it's such an oral tradition that if you're not around it really heavily, it's just very hard to get any good information on. And so I think that's part of what pulled me away from it. I don't know. I just think that folk magic, like I, I appreciate it, but it's just not really what drives me and not really where my passion lies. Yeah. My, uh, my housemate, she's from Pennsylvania. And so that book like really spoke to her. Cause again, like you mentioned, it's, it's such an oral tradition that it was just interwoven into her entire life. And she didn't even realize until her late thirties that it was magic stuff that she'd been doing for an entire childhood and young adulthood and everything like that. I've noticed that when I talk to people in person um, about my spiritual practices or whatever, I really avoid the word magic because you can describe what magic is and explain magical practices and people think it's totally normal. But the second you say that word, they get so thrown off and they're like, oh, that's crazy. But people do magic a lot and are very comfortable with magical things. It's just, there's something about that word. And I think the association with that word, like Hollywood and fantasy stuff that just people like, dissociate it from like regular spiritual practice or superstition Mm -hmm. um so when i'm talking to people and when i'm talking to people in person and explaining what i do because obviously like i don't go guns blazing to people when i first meet them that i'm a ceremonial magician right (laughs) yeah i could but i'm not that person and so i'll be like oh i just i think about my will and i I use my will to get what I want and I wear perfumes that are aligned with certain elements and I, I practice mysticism. It's, it's just people are so scared of the word magic, I think, and the word like witchcraft. But you can, you can describe occult practices and just not use like the buzzwords and people don't, don't flinch. It's really interesting. Yeah, I've had that experience even with people I've interviewed on this podcast because sometimes I'll have people on that I just know who are interested in this type of thing, but they just get really off put by certain words, like you said. And I have have one episode, one of my earlier ones, where a friend of mine is talking about how much he doesn't really like, isn't really into magic, but then, or into like anything would be considered esoteric or out there whatsoever. And then at the end of the episode, goes on to describe to me how he saw massive ufo above his head in the desert go around and shut a bunch of lights off then went on to like not even think that was much of anything after that and it was like what are you talking about (laughs) people have this sort of separation between reality and what they think fiction is and when you say things that they associate heavily with like fiction right like magic or demon or whatever um it becomes something that that seems unreal when in reality, I mean, most of those fiction are pulling from real practices, at least to some degree. And like, once again, like, I just think the words are what throw people off because they have that fiction association. So 
I don't know, I've always noticed that the kind of the best way to explain occultism to people who are not occultist is to sort of use words that aren't going to just throw people way off and make them assume you're some sort of crank. I guess that could be kind of manipulative, but I think it's just a better way to approach it. So how would you explain it to someone? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're going to explain magic to someone, um, you could explain the idea of as above, so below and be like, oh, you know how astrology sort of says that what happens in the stars reflect our life, right? I sort of believe that. And I believe that by working within my, my life, it can influence the outside. That's an easy way to do it. Um, explaining, I use my will to get what I want because I feel like manifestation as a concept is becoming very friendly to everyone now. Like I see people saying, I manifest like that are not occult minded people. Um, I think like spiritual concepts as a whole are becoming a lot more friendly to the general public. The manifesting is law of attraction type stuff. People are pretty comfortable with um, even tarot at this point. Like a lot of people I know who I would definitely consider like non occult minded people. I see reading tarot or whatever. And I think that as long as, it's, as long as you don't go guns blazing with the Goetia, I mean, I think people are a lot more comfortable with occultism than you would assume they are. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that even with um, the, the rise of astrology memes, which isn't necessarily occult, but like it, it's, it's interesting seeing how people are much more comfortable with it. I remember when it was a joke in the 2000s to walk up to someone at the bar and be like, hey, like, what's your sign? But now it's like, give me your astrology information immediately. Or just like, it's like part of dating apps. Like you're like on Bumble. I've even seen like, it's a built in question of like what your sun sign is. I think it's actually really, really cool how now it seems like most people know their sun, moon and rising, which mm -hmm. is super new. Like people really only knew their sun sign until super recently. And I think like the whole occultism becoming mainstream thing, there's a lot of pushback from the community with people saying like, oh, it's becoming pop, it's becoming aestheticized. And I think to a degree that's true and to a degree that's not a great thing. But overall, I mean, I think as much as some people get kind of annoyed about it, the cultural acceptance of occult practice and spirituality becoming more socially acceptable is a good thing um, because while, yeah, I mean, it waters some things down and like the average person who knows their sun sign isn't like reading the Picatrix every night, the ability for us to even be able to talk about occultism openly is really a privilege when like less than a hundred years ago, if I said I was a thalamite, I could have like get arrested or even 300 years ago burned, right? I think that we kind of as a community have gone, oh, it's bad that everyone's into like pop astrology or has CoStar on their phone, which yeah, CoStar is not a great app, but I really do think like spirituality becoming accepted and becoming more normalized in our culture is a good thing. I know that's very much a hot take right now because everyone's like, oh, I hate all these aesthetic plastic witches or whatever. And yeah, that's annoying. But I think overall, like even being able to be a public occultist on social media is really kind of incredible. Like that wouldn't happen 200, 300 years ago. I, as a woman, probably would be a ceremonial magician 500 years ago. Like I don't know. I think it's a good thing. That's, that's one of my hot takes, though. I'm sure some people will disagree with me on that. I, I agree with you on it, like, honestly, in terms of just it being so much more accessible. Um, and it's, a, you know, it's, it makes me in my own life feel a lot more comfortable talking to people. Obviously, there's still instances where that doesn't happen. And I mean, I've even seen that 
from the amount of people I follow on Twitter who are very openly occultists and like how sometimes our content will just randomly show up in like normal people's feeds or extremely religious people's feeds. And then you get really bizarre messages. It's like, are we, are we still doing this? Um, it's, <laughs> I'm sure you can relate to that too. Oh yeah, um, ever since, so Instagram rolled out this feature called Reels. And the problem with Reels is the algorithm is pushing it a lot harder than any other feature, meaning that when you post a reel, it gets shown on non-occultist feeds, just by the way the algorithm is set up. <laughs> and so I always have gotten these kind of like super Catholic DMs telling me I'm going to hell or whatever. And they've increased recently. And the, to be honest, I know this is like a really bad response, but I kind of think they're funny. Like they honestly really <laughs> entertain me. I like will like jokingly reply to them a lot of the times because the thing about it is I think the first few times it happened, I was obviously kind of hurt, right? But I mean, they, they are sort of coming from a place of concern most of the time. They're more just worried about you. And you know, if, if we're talking about like where hate comes towards me, it's mostly from other, like, I get a lot worse comments from other occultists than from like the Christian concerned you're going to hell stuff, which is interesting. I think the people who are sending messages on Instagram are not really the Christians that we should be concerned about. Yeah. Um, I think like the ones that we should be actually more worried about are those who are like trying to enforce like religious stuff into legislature and all that. I don't know. I find people messaging me things like, you need to read the Bible, just not super jarring. <laughs> um, but I mean, there are definitely people who have had situations, especially back in like the satanic panic, where there have been issues with Christian people being very hostile towards occultists. And I'm not going to deny that that's a real issue just because I haven't had a situation like that. So since you started your podcast, which is called, again, Occultism with a Side of Salt, I listened to some of it and I think it's really, I think it's a great thing just to talk about the issues we run into as things become more and more available, but also like in a way that doesn't put down the idea of it being available at the same time, like what you said. And so you're, you have a co-host, uh, one of them's Warrior Witch Nike, and then I'm forgetting there's another person too. Yeah. We got rid of them. Wait, that sounded really dramatic. Um, <laughs> it's, we had, so basically the host team had some turnover. So now it's just Nike and I. Okay. We did not get rid of anyone. That sounds really traumatic. <laughs> But yeah, it's just the two of us now. I really like OWASP. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, in our early episodes, some of you perceived it as like we were saying like all this occult stuff or like this inner community drama is bad or whatever. But I mean, overall, I think the accessibility of occultism is a good thing. If I didn't think it was a good thing, I don't think I would be creating online content because mm -hmm. I, by teaching on the internet, am contributing to the decentralization of occultism. And I, I think the podcast, I started it because I saw a lot of toxicity in the online occult space. I'm not involved with really much in-person stuff. I've gone to base, I've gone to like rituals in my area, but I'm not a formal member of any groups. Not for issues with any specific groups. It's just not my speed. And I sort of have a specific practice and it's just not my thing. But I think the online space has a lot of issues. And so I created OWASP to kind of help build a better community because I want a strong, big online occult presence. I really do. Like, I think that online occult communities are really important, especially for new practitioners, because almost every newer practitioner at this point is solitary. Most people I know who end up joining groups in person have been practicing for multiple years prior. So that means like the internet is where the occult community is now. 
And solitary practitioners could be from small towns where they'll never have the opportunity to join a coven, right? And so the internet space is super important because I think when you're new, like, it can, it can be really kind of intimidating getting into occultism and online. There are so many great resources and places to learn. And I really want a strong online community because I think like part of learning is talking to other people. And I think the online space is such a great way to do that. And since the online community is getting so big, you can find communities for every niche practice that you could never find an in-person coven for. So I think OWASP can be a little critical, but it's critical because I want a better online community because I really do care about that. And I think it's really, really important for new practitioners. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of communities out there and I've bounced around from so many of them as well. And even since I joined Marco's Patreon, cause um, Thilema, like I, my exposure to it just basically started with Marco and from some of the things that I um, didn't even realize were, were pieces of it, such as the Kabbalah tree of life, for example, like I didn't even no, that was part of it because I think part of my brain as well had lumped in a lot of ceremonial magic and like Aleister Crowley and this boys club that I just didn't want anything to do with. And so that's another reason why I'm really happy to talk to you and see how many other female or all sorts of any gender or whatever who are also practitioners of that Thelema because a year ago I just wasn't interested in it because I'd definitely written it off as something toxic because of patriarchal stuff, you know? Oh, I mean, that's definitely a thing. Like I talked about, I've talked about this a little bit. My audience is mostly male and I, I've noticed that there are a lot, like I'd say Thelema is probably like 70% men, something like that, um, which is a majority. Um, and historically ceremonial magic has been very much like upper class, upper middle class to upper class men. And I think that's ridiculous and pointless. So I really, I... I was actually kind of nervous being a public face talking about ceremonial magic as a young woman. Um, Cause I'm really kind of not that mold of the like, I am fratter so-and-so I have been practicing for 70 years, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I just kind of made my content because I wanted my views represented. I was like, I want a ceremonial magician online who isn't a member of some order and talks about occultism in a way that is moving forward. And I don't know, I just, there are women. We, I'm not the only one. Um, I know I'm not because I sometimes get messages and they're my favorite messages I get from like other women. And they're like, I was really intimidated to get into ceremonial magic. And it's so nice seeing like a younger woman doing it. And I'm like, hell yeah, sister, let's do this. We exist. And I think it's pretty common that women are intimidated by that, to be honest, because like when you look at ceremonial magic books, so many of them are by men. Um, so many, like when you, you look into groups, they're like kind of boys clubs. And I don't like that. I don't, I, I don't like that. And the way that I fix that is by being a woman and inspiring other women. So then we can kick all the men out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Love my boys. Um, I very affectionately call them my Babylon bros to my co-host. There, there's a lot of men, but we do exist, and I want more of us. I want better representation in ceremonial magic in general. And I think, like, the idea that we should not do it because it's mostly men is keeping the problem going. Totally. And I don't know. Yeah, I agree with it's, you. If you're, I get some sexism, actually, um, a little bit, more than, more than my co-host, who is a, like, Norse pagan witch gets by quite some margin, quite a large margin. But I don't know. 
I don't care. I'm going to do what I want. <laughs> and they'll, they'll like it or not. I'm still going to create content. Yeah. I find even in paranormal research, like some of the, the older texts, like I, I like John Keel's work, but at the same time, it's like, there's a lot of weird shit in there. You have to be critical because, you know, times evolve and things change and we shouldn't think that pyramids had to be aliens because people who weren't white weren't smart enough to build them, which is like one of the opening statements in the Mothman prophecies. So I think that sometimes people get scared of being critical about things that they care about because they think it means it's all bad, but... I think that's just part of the love the love that we have for any type of practice, whether it's ceremonial magic or paranormal or um, any other spiritual pursuit, whatever. Like some people tend to lump all those things together and sure there's crossover, but I think we do have to be critical of it because we want to evolve and we want to be inclusive and cut through the bullshit. Something can be more than one thing at the same time, right? Like, a book can be problematic and still have good information in it at the same time, and you can still look at it critically and parse out, like, yeah, that's not really cool nowadays, but this other information is still solid. And I think that's just learning to, like, look at things critically, because I think an important thing is, and I hope people look at me critically, right? Like, not blindly, like, agree with everything you read with. Don't feel like you need to agree with every practitioner. I think something that I'm doing that I see a lot less in the Flama community is I work with a lot of non-Thelemites, and I collaborate with a lot of non-Thelemites. That's intentional, um, because I think it's good to have ideological diversity going on. And I just think something can be more than one thing at once. And we should look critically at everything, and I think that's a good habit, but I think we shouldn't throw everything away because of one problematic thing once. If that makes sense? Yeah. Yeah, it's something I'm working on too. Like I said, like my my initial assumptions with a lot of ceremonial magico was just very much like I didn't want anything to do with it because I lumped it all in to that category of all of it being toxic and bad and um, counterintuitive to what I was trying to do. But then as I evolved as my own, as a practitioner and done my own research and things, I realized that that's not helpful, like in any, in any field whatsoever, just to like ignore everything. So I'm working on that. And so that's why I love talking to people about this stuff. And this podcast has been really great because I can talk to people like you and, and Marco who care so much about it and are, and are um, actively working in that space to, to, to make it so much more accessible and clear in its values and everything. So I think that's really awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I think accessibility is something that I really care about personally. Part of why I've been driven to make content is because I really, something that I really care about is I want more people to feel comfortable with ceremonial magic and I want to take away that elitism. I don't like the idea that only a select few amount of people should do it. I think that's ridiculous. I think that anyone can be an occultist if they put in the work and these concepts should be accessible to everyone. And that's why I have been driven to do all of this. I think that, I think that we need to sort of move forward from the old model of occultism is for the few and into the reality that ever since the advent of the internet, occultism has been decentralized, right? Like the internet, I think, is one of the biggest paradigm shifters in occultism, right? 
because now we have all this information everywhere. You can get these sacred texts that were so hard to find before. You can order these books that have been translated in the past 10 years, like Catrix was translated relatively recently, I think, like off of Amazon and study traditional occultism. And you don't need to join a group. You don't need to go through these super long processes and you can just do all the stuff yourself. And I think that's beautiful. And I want to be part of that wave and help inspire more people to dive in things like Kabbalah or the Goetia or something and not see it as like, oh, I have to join some super fancy group. I have to wait for years. I have to be, a, I have to be like over 40. If that's an old school <laughs> Kabbalah thing, you have to be a man who's married over 40. I think that in, in the time of the internet, like it or not, whether the occult community likes it or not, our information has been decentralized. Everything has opened up. And I think that as a community, we should embrace that and teach people good information, push out misinformation, and embrace the decentralization and the rise of the internet. So that's, that's where I stand. And that's why I sort of see myself a little differently than I see kind of the older guard of Thelema, uh, because I never had that group experience. I never went through a system like the OTO. Um, so my experiences are pretty different. I'm doing the same rituals, but I think just because I didn't have all these experiences, I perceive it differently. And I have this very kind of different view on who should be in a cultist and all that. And I think we, we should just be embracing all of that. And that's part of why I make such beginner digestible. I mean, I wouldn't say my stuff's like super beginner. I'm not saying like how to make moon water, but <laughs> it's digest. I think digestible is a good word. If someone is interested in Thelema, what would be, in your opinion, like the best place to really start in terms of their own research? Yeah, I mean, I think the best place to start is, I, I do believe that even if you go to join a group later on, you should start solitarily. That's a personal take. Um, but that's, that's a, a personal opinion. Um, I mean, the first thing in any occult practice is the thing that no one wants to do, which is develop a meditation practice. <laughs> okay. Can't escape it anywhere. No. <laughs> No, you can't. You can't. You, can't. you have to do it. It's, it's not fun. I mean, maybe I actually only started liking meditating like a year after I forced myself to do it. I personally did not naturally enjoy meditating much. I wanted to get to the flashy stuff. Um, I wanted to like jump to like level 10. Some of my early ritual experiences were very interesting. I'll just say that. Um, but you need to develop a meditation practice. You need to get a, a journal and like record your ritual experiences. Um, work up rituals slowly. I would suggest like reading a lot. I recently read a book called Fresh Fever from the Skies, and that's a really good like digestible book. Um, I think the Llewellyn's Complete Book of Ceremonial Magic is a great one to pick up. And just work up slowly. Uh, start with like the lesser banishing ritual, the pentagram daily or something, and then work up to invocation. And I mean, I think also when you're looking at flame, a really important thing is beyond the fun ritual magical side is sort of living the idea of like true will and thinking about your will and sort of meditating on the concept of like, what do I really want with my life? What are my passions? Because to be a Thelemite in the end is just to be someone who is following their true will and chasing that with all they can. So, I mean, it's, it's part of just trying to do that, which is a big task. Keeping track of that's really important. And just trying to live a little bit more like you feel like you're meant to live. Because I think one of the big paradigm shifters in my mind when I became a Thalamite that really helped my life was realizing that like, my true will doesn't have to be anyone else's true will. 
there's no real set way to live and I can sort of do as I want and chase my own sort of true will. And I find that ritual really helps me figure that out in the end. I mean, what works for you works for you. And I think just keeping an open mind is good too. I know that's not really like a, a grounded piece of advice, like me saying, do the LBRP once a day, but I mean, it's important because like, I think experimentation is so much of a cult work. I think people can get like caught up in like following a certain curriculum or doing very specific rituals all the time and copying other people's sort of daily routines or whatever, but find what works for you and run with it. If you like the Lama for a while and then move into another type of occultism, like that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you're not rigidly boxed into one thing. Um, and just practice, like, like obviously practice, but find what makes you happy and keep track of how the results of your rituals go and just let things flow. Just, just, just trust it, follow your interest and just see what happens. When you first started this or even through now, like, was there anything in terms of results from your rituals? Do you have any experiences that really you can remember affected your life or caused some type of drastic change? I'm always curious about these stories. Yeah, I've had some very, very strong ritual results. Some rituals have not been as flashy as others. Um, I think one ritual experience, I'm going to be kind of vague about the details of this, but it was probably the ritual that made me go, yeah, this works. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did a ritual. So I work a lot with Saturn in my personal practice. I don't talk a lot about my personal, personal practice online and sort of stick to talking about the community in generally, but. I'm going to open up a bit. I did a ritual using, it was like a Saturn-based ritual. Um, there was a very toxic person in my life who was causing um, a lot of harm to a person I really cared about. And I did a ritual of Saturn to sort of help the person who was being harmed and like get them the justice that they needed. And without, like the next morning, I got a call that that person was essentially leaving their life completely. And I was like really shocked. I was like, because I... I was always kind of skeptical of my occult work. Yeah, it's working, but I guess it could be psychological. I don't know. I would have like moments where I'd be like, maybe I'm just going crazy, you know? Yeah. And then that happened. And this was a couple, this was like a long time ago now. And just the way that that happened so quickly, I was like, wow, that had to be that because there was no way to, it was like, I don't want to get into details just because I don't want to, some people I know in my personal life listen to these podcasts that I'm on. <laughs> But basically that person left, left town. Like they like completely moved away and they were gone like, like that. And I was like, okay, then I was, I was very shocked. Um, I've had, I also have had some like job stuff work way faster than I was expecting. I had at one point, I did a, like a, like a love attraction working, not generally. I don't really believe in targeted love spells, but that's a personal ethics thing not going to push that onto other people. And the next day I met someone and the only reason I even crossed their path is because they had multiple train delays and I ran into them in like a public subway station. And then we ended up having a relationship for a couple months. And I was like, okay, then it's a lot of just, just strange stories. Not all my work is based around like external manifestations, but I've had some that I'm like, okay, this had to have worked or I'm just really, really lucky out of nowhere, which I'm going to doubt. Oh, that's so interesting. 
It's, it's funny how easily our brain just wants to dismiss everything we're doing too. That's something that I'm really fascinated with in terms of our own, like when our psychology starts to come into it, because I, I do so much in my life. Like my life has become, my life is magic. That's like what I do. I don't, sometimes when people ask me what, what types of things I do, my life has all of this built into it. Like all of it has magic in it. So when our brain still likes to go, okay, well, this was just happen and chance. It's like, how do I keep doing this to myself? I feel like a lot of occultists online won't admit this, but like, I definitely have some imposter syndrome. I have some insecurities in my practice. I have moments where I doubt things. I try a lot of the times, like, a manifestation will happen and my brain will immediately go to try to write it off as something else. And I sometimes will sit and I'll be like, well, you know, maybe it's all psychological. Maybe I'm going crazy. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm not going to deny that I have those moments and it, it just, it, it, it keeps happening. So I know it's not that, but I think that that insecurity and doubt is something that we don't talk about a lot, but I, I don't think, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I don't think it's as uncommon as people act like it is. And I mean, to a degree, I think it is kind of healthy to doubt. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's good to keep a level of skepticism. And I personally believe that some skepticism is important. Otherwise you can completely go off the deep end. Um, but I always, I always have to be like, Georgina, think about how many things have happened. Think about how many crazy experiences you've had. There's no way that's all a coincidence. Stop doing this. <laughs> but yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely have those moments. Have you ever found yourself kind of teetering around that, the deep end, so to speak? Oh yeah. I've had moments where I've questioned my sanity a little bit. Um, I do a lot of spirit work, right? And I mean, I think like, I, I think that part of mysticism is thinking you're a little bit crazy, but I'll have these like really profound invocation experiences and then I'll ground and center afterwards and I'll just have a moment where I'm like, oh my God, I'm completely losing it. I'm, I'm, I've just gone insane because I know that something crazy has happened. I've had an experience that just cannot be explained otherwise. And I'll just go, am I just crazy? And then I'm like, but it works. <laughs> it's kind of a, a game. And I, I'm not like the first person who's had this experience. I was reading, I think it was Chumbly. I talk about this briefly, I think in my sabbatic video, or maybe I cut that part out, I don't know. But um, something that people who would do like sabbatic witchcraft would write about is that they're not sure whether it was like a dream or if it actually happened. And that sort of like liminality was part of their experience. And I really relate to that. Like a lot of these mysticism experiences I've had where I feel like I've talked to spirits and I've seen things. I mean, there's, there's, there's definitely like, maybe even a little bit of magic and just that not being like completely positive or not being able to fully comprehend it. Because I think as humans, we can't fully comprehend the divine in its uh -huh. purest, fullest form. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like a game in a weird way. Like you're kind of dancing with insanity a little bit. I think it's an interesting thing to think about, but it's very possible that I'm crazy. <laughs> I'm aware of it. I'm self, I'm self-aware. <laughs> Yeah, I think the more and more I move into the space, which for me now, it's like my, my entire job is in this world. Like I, I have this podcast, I do readings and art and Patreon. And so that's like how I make my money. And then at the same time, all of my, like I enjoy this world in general. And it is like also how I live my life. So I just, 
have find myself so much in this space sometimes that I feel more and more myself, but every single day I still wake up like, I'm insane. Like, I don't know what like is going on. Like, I just feel like absolutely like, I guess this is like what that feels like to feel like you're like losing your mind because I mean, yesterday I woke up and I'd had a dream where the entire dream was me being chased by people who are trying to kill me but then i turn around and then kill all of them 30 people it was a specific type of dream where i was helping old parts of myself die and then i felt great but then i also had a few moments of like that entire thing i just experienced and how i got resolution to someone who doesn't understand that i sound absolutely insane Yeah. No, I mean, I have definitely stories where I'm like, this sounds absolutely insane. And I think now that like, I'm sort of in your boat, this isn't my full income, but I'm, I'm making some money off of it and I'm doing readings. And I guess I'm like semi-professional occultist now, which is just crazy to me because I feel like I'm just like a norm, like it's, it's interesting, especially because now people are seeing me as almost like a teacher because I'm doing YouTube stuff. Mm -hmm. I just think of myself as like a regular practitioner. And it's really interesting that I'm now like, I guess, a leader almost, which is just bizarre to me because like, you know, like I don't have formal initiations. I haven't been through all of that. And so it's, it's definitely an interesting position. And it's kind of weird because for me, this all happened so quickly. I wasn't making content until this year. And like very quickly, I've become doing this as basically a part-time job at this point. It's very interesting. And my personal practice has honestly shifted through this period of time in some interesting ways. But I think the more that I gain credibility for it, I get a little bit more imposter syndrome because I'm like, now people like listen to me, you know, like Mm. I have some impact on people and they're learning from me. And I'm like, what if somehow all my information is wrong and even though I read for 12 hours and I outlined this video and spent a terrifying amount of time on it, suddenly somehow all the information is going to be wrong and I'm going to be crazy. I mean, it never happens, but it's, it's, it's just been interesting. That's the word for it. How did you end up in Marco's group? He actually found my content. Um, I had read some articles, but didn't know who he was. And then he followed me. I think it was Twitter and then commented on some of my early YouTube videos. And then I started corresponding with him a bit. And then we joined each other's Patreons. And now like I, I was never like a member of any of the groups that he's kind of had interactions with. So I try to not get super involved in those type of politics just because like I was never a member. It's not my place. I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, Um, I Mm -hmm. never comment on specific groups by name and I've never named a specific group in any of my videos because I don't feel comfortable talking on groups that I haven't been a member of because, you know, I don't know the full story. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think it's great that Marco has been doing work within Thelema to help us like talk about the problems that certain groups have and kind of be a little bit more transparent. I really think that's really important, especially like, because in the kind of like older generations of Thelema, the group stuff is really, really important for people. Um, I think people are really kind of stuck on this group model that Thelema looks this one way and we need to keep recreating these two groups, the OTO and the AA. 
And that's why you see groups like offshoots now that are sort of just recreating what's already happened. And for a lot of thalamites, uh, and I've actually never talked about this publicly, this is one of my private opinions that I just have intentionally not shared, but I'm feeling, I'm feeling, feeling risky right now. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think that for the thalamites who are really kind of fixated on this model of Thelema, that Marco sort of doing work to hold it accountable is really important. Same with IEO 131 of Thelenic Union. I think he does really good work. I think because to a lot of people, these groups are really important um, that it's good to call that out. For me personally, I think Thelema needs to move beyond this model entirely. I think Thelema is stuck in the past in a lot of ways. Um, I think we're focused on the OTO and the AA obsessively. Um, We talk about degrees and this old order system like all the time. And I'm not commenting on what the OTO is like. I was never a member. I don't really understand it because I was never a member or the AA either. I've never been a member of either group. And there are a lot of other groups. There's like the TTO, the TOT. There's, there's a bunch of them. I don't even know the names of all of them. I, they all, they all get mixed up in my mind. (laughs) And I think like Thelema is not restricted to this structure. I think that's a big failing in the Thelemic community. I think we're like, oh, Thelema is joining a group and going through a degree system and having a fancy title and being this, mo- this way. But the reality is, is younger new practitioners don't care. I mean, I know that's a very hard truth for a lot of Thelemites to hear, but people my age and younger do not want to join a group like that. We don't want to join an order system. All the, a lot of the information taught through those systems are available online. People are self-teaching it. They don't want to join a group and not be able to do certain practices. They're just, they've learned it through the internet and everyone now is so eclectic. Like my Thelema is slightly different than their Thelema because as an, as a, like an, like a younger generation practitioner, I've been exposed to a lot of practices and there's a lot of syncretism going on. And I mean, the reality is, is for Thelema to survive, we need to move forward, right? Because people my age, sure some will, but most aren't going to want to join this old school group, group structure when the information is accessible elsewhere. If you can get the information elsewhere, people aren't going to want to go through years and years of a group to get it. And like, as I said, the, the internet has decentralized everything. And so for Thelema to survive, which is something I care about, and as I have lived my entire Thelemite journey without needing to join these groups, and getting a lot of the information that group members have. Because I have friends who have, who have been in the OTO. I have a friend who is in the OTO. Like, you know, like I, I know people have been through these groups. It's not like I'm just some random person on the internet. I mean, I am a random person on the internet, but <laughs> I've done research, right? I think that we just need to move on. I think that a Thelemic group doesn't have to look like that. We could make groups with no degree structure. We could make groups with no hierarchy at all. We could make groups that are in a coven structure. Like we could do so many things. And I think Thelema is such an interesting religion and is a living religion. Like we say Thelema is living. I'm like, okay, well then let it move on, right? Yeah. Like I think Thelema needs to adapt to the internet age, adapt to the new wave of people coming in. Because if we're just trying to recreate the same two groups that are losing members as time goes on and people my age are just not interested in, Thelema is going to die off if we let it be so tethered to this, to these institutions, it's not going to live. And I think Thelema is so like applicable to modern life. I think these rituals, like they changed my life. Right. 
when I began my occult journey, I was nowhere near the person I am now. Occultism really helped me develop into who I am. This is why I don't talk about groups because I don't think you need them. And I think like new groups can form and be just as powerful as those. I mean, once again, I don't have the details on different groups. so I'm not going to get into politics, but I think that we need to let Salima be a living religion again and let it evolve and move forward in new directions and let new, let new minds come in and change things, right? Like let things change, let things evolve, let things grow and just let kind of our fixation on these old groups just disappear. Like I'm not saying we like get rid of them and I, think it's so important that we've had people be critical of them and work within them and all that, like people like Marco and IA131. But I think my place in Philema is to help push it on and just move it to the next level, which is why I don't talk about them, because I think that they're not integral to the DNA of Philema at all. So that's probably something that I don't think I've said publicly, but is sort of what one of my kind of aims is and beliefs on how Flama can move forward because all these people messaging me and talking to me, they're like, oh, I'm going to be a Thelemite now. Like they're not, they're not going through that structure. And I know that's a hard pill for people to swallow, but Thelema is going to live beyond any group, right? Thelema is an idea. An idea is not copyrighted by anyone. Anyone can be a Thelemite. I mean, in the end, Thelemite just means person who does as they will, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think we should let Thelema grow. And that's sort of where I stand on a lot of that stuff. Yeah, it was interesting when I was first looking into what Thelema was, because my first, like I mentioned it was through Marco, and this was because I'm part of the Traveling Museum of the Paranormal Neocult, Greg and Dana's community that they have. Um, And Marco did a guest lecture about um, Hellier and what's going on with that through the perspective of the star sapphire ritual as that being a possibility to what everything's kind of leading to and when i first watched that lecture i my brain couldn't like process it because i was like what is this it was so different to (laughs) what i'm used to in terms of my own practice and the types of magicians that i that i know in my own life that that's why i reached out to him so i could learn more but when he described it and told me what thelema was it didn't make sense to me why it was such there was such a fixation on the group aspect because it seemed so personal exactly like what you're describing and obviously i'm not a thelemite so i don't have like i'm not having any authority here on like what that what that means but it did surprise me and so it's interesting what you're saying to me now because that does seem definitely more in line with what i have understood so far the nature of like you know will and everything to be from this perspective in this practice so it's interesting hearing you talk about it oh absolutely i mean i think it is very personal i think your will is a very personal thing i think group rituals are very powerful and have a lot of value i've done group rituals though i'm not a member of any actual groups I've like informally gotten people together and done rituals and stuff like that. Um, But like in the end, spirituality is personal, right? Because at some point in our lives, and I think COVID has shown everyone this, you're not going to have a group. You're going to have to do a ritual by yourself. You're going to have to process things from a ritual by yourself. And I think like spirituality deals with so many deep personal things that whether you're only doing group workings or not, like, 
so much of it is personal. And at some point, like you may end up in a situation like coronavirus where you can't go and do group workings, right? And so I think solitary practice is important to add on to a group practice. I think group rituals are very, very valuable. And I think they're very powerful, but they're not everything. And in terms of like rituals that are written as groups, I mean, I don't see why you can't adapt them to work for a solitary practitioner by changing things. I mean, someone wrote it to begin with, right? That's, that's a little spicy. I mean, I think like group <laughs> rituals have such a value, but I think like a group ritual does not have to look like an order, right? A group ritual can just be you getting some people together or it can be an order and that's valid. But I think that, I, don't, I just think we need to divorce Philema from the idea that it's owned by any specific entity. I don't have a problem with any specific entity, but I think that we need to kind of unmarry that mostly because I'm a solitary practitioner and I, I'm sorry, you're not going to invalidate my entire practice by telling me since I'm not a part of some specific group that I'm not a practitioner. That's ridiculous. And I call BS on that so fast. <laughs> and I just, I don't know. I think Salema is, Dolomites get so caught up in politics, like not like, not like world politics, but like group politics, right? Like Scroll through Philemic Union, which I love. I love IA went through when he makes great content. But if you scroll through like Philemic Union's website, like so many of these articles are like people talking in the OTO. If you look up Flame on Twitter, you see a bunch of OTO disagreements and OTO conversations. And like, I started a new group. It's called the TOTTTTTO00153 or something like that. Not no shade, no shade to groups that are other organizations of the word OTO. But like, it's, it's exhausting because I want to talk about Salema. I don't want to talk about your group. I'm not a member of any group. I don't care. <laughs> I want to talk about the rituals, the magic, the philosophies. I think we talk too much about these groups. I'm like, very cool. And I've met up with Thalamites who are in these groups and I've talked about Salema with them and we have the same ideas. I'm like, can we for five seconds talk about the actual like occultism and the practices though I mean I do think it's incredibly important to hold groups accountable and be transparent but I just I want to like online talk about Thelema and not like talk about these groups because I frankly do not care and I I know that's probably like really bad optics on my end and I'm sure like I, I intentionally don't talk about this stuff for a reason but when someone says like some fancy title, I'm like, cool, what's your practice like though? Like that's what actually matters to me more than anything mm -hmm. else. It's like, well, what do you think? What do you do? What are your rituals like? Like that, that just to me, because I've never have been through these groups, that just means so much more to me than any sort of like number or title. Like I care about Thelema. I don't care about what degree you are. And that's a very spicy take but I just want to talk about the practices. I want to talk about the occultism. That's what I'm here for. That's what I care about. And I'm really tired of Thelema being reduced to these dumb infighting stuff because it ends up taking up so much space that we never do magic and it's just really toxic. And that's the one thing about the Thelemic community that sort of drives me a little crazy because I think that we want Thelema to grow, right? We want to like, like make it bigger and inspiring more people to practice. And I think by obsessing over groups that are decreasing in members rapidly and infighting, it's just not the way to do that. So yeah, this is like 
the most transparent I think I've been publicly, but those are some of my takes. I just care about the ceremonial magic, man. I just, I'm really, I'm really just, just done with the pretension. And that's why I make my content the way that I do. And I don't talk about specific groups and I keep things in a way that it can appeal to as many people as possible. Because in the end, what matters is the occultism. Your relationship with the divine and your relationship to your true will and your relationship to your spirits matters more than anything else, right? That matters more than my follower count, than your title. Like, that's what matters most, right? Your actual relationship to your personal practice. That's the most important thing. And that's what I like to bring things back to. For you, is there a significant difference or what type of relationship do you see between the spiritual community and the occult community? Because that's what I'm thinking of now, because a lot of times people kind of lump them together. But from what you're talking about right now, it seems like there's a lot more parallels between the two than most people, I think, would admit. Yeah, I mean, I think they all overlap. I think a way that I think I've conceptualized it in an OWAS episode before is the spiritual community is the giant bubble. And the occult community is like a subsection of it. The occult community is smaller than the larger spiritual community. And the actual issues and the things people sort of argue about are different, but they reflect each other. And the same general things come up, right? Like the issues that you see in the large spiritual community, like about science denialism, about like people spiritually bypassing and using spirituality to not cope with their real life and their real problems, that appears in the occult community just in a different way. Um, I think that they're complete reflections of each other. And a lot of the times, like on, on my podcast episodes, because my co-host is a member of like the witchcraft community and I'm a ceremonial magician, like we have slightly different experiences, but they're, they're so strikingly similar most of the time. They're just sort of using like different language to discuss a lot of the same problems. And so I think they, they overlap like extremely. I'm not a member of like the like paranormal community or like, alien communities because that stuff just doesn't really interest me much but I'm sure the same things pop up in those though I I, I really try to distance occultism from conspiracy theories because we have a lot of issues with those but that I have I have a whole podcast episode on that it's called something conspirituality I don't remember (laughs) exactly I phrase it I can I can bet that I named it something like the problem with the toxic rise of or some like clickbaity thing that I named it so we would get more impressions I just know it has some spirituality in there somewhere. I have to, I actually really don't like that I have to name all my like podcast episodes, things like the toxic ride and the algorithm. <laughs> so that's why you see these like really dramatic occultism with a side of salt episode titles. I mean, that's, that's like a silly thing, but I feel like when people pull it up. They're like, why are these all like so dramatic? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm just trying to get clicks. <laughs> Oh man, whenever I name my podcast episodes, there's, there's, I always have two titles in my head and they're usually one that I think is genuinely really funny and the other one that I know as keywords that people will search for in Apple Podcasts. I'm like, God damn it. Um, so some of my episodes I have, it'll be like whatever funny thing and it'll be forward slash whatever topics it is. So I, I literally yep. think about them for, for days. Like I'm not getting like just days of like, okay, what well, one am I going to name it? Like I'm, I'm releasing one this coming week. that's called like seeing through your eyelids slash subversive fertility. <laughs> yeah. Like I wanted to name, like I did a video on sabbatic witchcraft and I just knew that wasn't going to get clicked. So I put like traditional parentheses sabbatic. Like I, 
I, I, I do think that one annoying thing about being an online occult creator is that I'm kind of at the mercy of the algorithm. Um, and so I have to like make content that I know performs well, as well as sort of what I want to make. And I have to sort of like twist titles and stuff because a lot of my content, like people do not know like these super niche terms. So like I named my Goetic videos, like what is Goetic? And then in parentheses, like demonic. <laughs> I'm like, like, okay, what do I think people will actually click on? And they're like, demon magic. Like, yes, that's going to get some some clicks. Demon magic with like that one emoji. I don't <laughs> You know, at least, at least I haven't caved enough to start putting like the red arrows and like the all caps titles. I'm going to start putting not clickbait in all my video titles or something. Good. And then myself doing like a shocked face with like red arrows everywhere. Mm. <laughs> Have you used, I mean, you can talk about this to whatever degree you're comfortable. Um, have you used any magic to help yourself with the algorithm? Oh, of course. I haven't denied. <laughs> I, I actually, um, like, I absolutely do. Um, I, I will shamelessly admit that I do magic to promote myself and do better in, like, algorithms and stuff. I actually leave offerings to the algorithm. Like, genuinely, like, the egregore of the algorithm. I will, like, I like tweet this thing every now and again. It's like IO algorithm. And I think people think it's a joke, but I'm like, I'm not, that's not a joke. I think it actually works. I literally will leave, like, I have like a candle, like on my altar that just says algorithm on it. Yeah, I do a ton of like offerings. I, I work, I almost sort of like work with the egregore of the algorithm. And I found that it actually works. It sounds completely like insane. But it definitely works. Like, okay, I'm not the first person to do this. Like, the coast of last podcast on the left have pretty openly talked about how they've used magic to promote their podcast, and that's part of why they think it does so well. And I'm not going to pretend that I don't do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I do too. Like, I part of I mean, I do something to to protect myself from becoming an egregore. <laughs> like, I do a bunch of stuff. Oh, to that's that. Smart. But at the same time, I'm bringing this up because lately I've been getting so many compliments on my theme song on my podcast. And I mean, I don't know if I'll keep this specific part in the recording or not, but I have subliminals in it. And I think it's hilarious the amount of people that have told me how much they love it. And because <laughs> oh, I have I- this extra thing in there. <laughs> I love that, actually. That's a good idea. I mean, that's my composer the next time we change the theme song because we change it like all the time mostly because our host team has been a revolving door um except i've stayed i i produce the i'm sort of the i mean i think it's kind of obvious but i am kind of like the the leader of the owas podcast it was i'm very much been like directing it from the beginning but yeah i I, I, I might keep that in mind. I totally, like, I will shamelessly admit that I magic my way up to the top. I'm not going to pretend I don't. I, I think it's not surprising. I think most occultists do online. I don't do, like, rep- someone gave me the idea, and you may not want to put this in, do, like, reputation magic, because I get a lot of, like, like shitty comments all the time. And I was like, no, I want to see it. It, mm-hmm. it, it, it. I think negative comments entertain me because they help me in the algorithm. Um, so I, I don't mind them coming in, like, just boots, boost my algorithm rating, like, keep it going. <laughs> yeah, give me a comments more than three words with no emojis, it's very helpful, even if it's... Weird. Yeah, you can call me a bitch, it's still helping me. <laughs> oh man, I love the way, I mean, this is how magic evolves, right? Like, it just goes with the times and becomes something else. I think the algorithm is interesting, and I like that you, you leave offerings to it, because people get really mad at it, but 
at the same time, it's still happening. So like, how can you use it to your favor in a really cool way? I think is, you know, maybe I'll start tweeting IO algorithm, but do it. I, I promote it. I, I think steal, steal your idea from me. I don't care. Boost yourself. It's not like people only listen to one podcast, but yeah, I, I think that magic evolving is something I'm very interested in. I'm very interested in like, I think a lot of tech magic, like people have come up with is not great. Like I really hate the emoji spell thing. What's that? What? Okay. So it was a thing that was on Tumblr a couple of years ago where people would like comment a string of emojis and call them like spells saying that they were basically sigils. And that really irritated me because I think it's super lazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the thing is the idea actually makes sense because I could see emojis acting like a sigil, but it just, I, it kind of bugged me. But I do think like, I just, I just, I don't like a lot of those tech magic stuff that's existed, but I think the internet can be worked with in a lot of magical ways. And I'm very interested in what could possibly be done with the internet and what, how we could possibly evolve magic to work with the internet. I do a lot of like more traditional ceremonial magic or whatever. And I had someone call me a traditionalist and I was like, that's really funny because I see what I'm doing as like pulling tradition into the modern world. I'm interested in how we can marry ancient mystic tradition and these old school ceremonial magic rituals with modern day and how to modernize them and make them work moving forward. Because I think like magic is a living tradition and I like seeing how it evolves. I'm really, I think a lot of the new traditions kind of rising and the way that like, like almost like these internet witches have developed a whole paradigm because it doesn't resemble anything that's come ahead of it. I think that's really cool. People kind of trash on like Gen Z occultists because they've done some really stupid stuff like hexing the moon or whatever, which I found hilarious, frankly. I I know people got mad about it, but I found it frankly hilarious. Like, I think like this new generation of occultists are really cool because there's so many people who are learning about more than what they would have 30 years ago. Because everyone used to be Wiccan, right? Like I was having Mm -hmm. a conversation with some older generation occultists because I find like talking to older occultists like really interesting because their experiences are so radically different than mine. And they're like, yeah, I mean, pretty much everyone was like a Gardarian Wiccan and all that. And I'm like, that's really interesting because people now are using such niche traditions, right? Yeah. And it's so cool how things are evolving. And I think like the internet making people accessible to so many traditions and just the variety of occultism we're seeing online is really cool. And I think that like, I think this trend will die down a bit, but I think like it's great that the gates have been open to so many people and that all these amazing traditions are just flourishing on the internet. Like, I think it's really great. I think there's a lot of like, I think it has caused a rise in misinformation, which is why I have my podcast correct that but I think overall like it's a really good thing and I'm really excited to see where the occult goes I think the occult in like 20 years is going to look so different than it does now I think like the types of groups that are going to gain prominence are going to be so different than they are now and I'm really excited to see how things evolve I think I don't know I feel like I have a very like future oriented sort of progressive I mean, not progressive in the political sense, but like future-oriented look at occultism. And I think it's going to be really cool. I'm very excited to see where things go. Interesting you mentioned how you think the trend's going to die down a little bit because there, you know, there are some people that are just here because of the trend. I, I Something I've been thinking about a lot lately actually is what is it going to look like when there's like so much less noise than currently is? Because there's so much of it, especially coming from um, like the rise in 
uh, like tarot and astrology and then kind of those fields that I'm, I'm interested to see what it's going to look like in like five years again when like I love all of those things but I'm just like I'm seeing it in my head as like there's just people like constantly coming in the door but when that dies down what's that going to be like this is my theory. So basically what happened in the 70s is a lot of people got into spirituality. It died down a bit, but more people were in it than were before. Then in the 90s, it picked back up again and then it dropped back down again. I think the same thing's going to happen. And then I think, I think in a couple years, it'll die down a bit, but there's still going to be an increased interest than what there was before. There just won't be as many people coming in, as many sort of like money hungry people coming in. And then in like 20 years, it'll have another peak. That's what I think is going to happen. Because it happened in the 70s. It happened in the 90s. It'll happen again. I don't think it'll, like, die off completely. Well, there was in the 90s, like, um, so basically in the 90s, Scott Cunningham uh, published his books and solitary practicing witchcraft became a thing really for the first time. Because before then, it was really coven-based. And in that kind of wave, like, people were solitary for the first time. And um, Cunningham and Buckland stuff got published, and that caused, like, a big wave in like the Wiccan community, especially Thorn Mooney, she's a blogger who's a traditional Wiccan, has talked, done a lot of videos on this type of stuff, like reflecting on her experience coming into Wicca in the 90s and how people thought like Scott Cunningham books were like the death of Gardnerian Wicca and like all these new witches were like fake, which is really funny because that's what's happening now. Yeah. Um, really interesting stuff. I really suggest watching her videos. I find them fascinating. I think the same thing will happen again. Because it was when the craft came out that everyone got really into, like, witchcraft briefly. I don't know. I think it'll die down and then come back. I don't think the occult is going to die anytime soon. Yeah. I think more people are becoming occultists than ever before. And I think, I think it's just going to evolve from here. I wonder what the next thing is going to be. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it seems like trends are moving pretty fast right now. Um, like, the Fae was really big a few months ago. Now we're not hearing about that as much. Then I think like veiling is really huge right now, which I had never even really known about pagan veiling until very recently. I was like, oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. Now it's like all over my feed. Cool. Like I didn't even know pagans veiled until like a few months ago when my co-host told me about it. Because I was like, oh, it's just some weird thing TikTok's doing. And then my co-host came to me like, look, I have this information about how people in, like, Rome who worshipped Vesta would all veil, and pagan veiling has, like, a whole history, and I was like, oh, wow, TikTok didn't just make this up? And then I realized it was, like, a whole thing, and I was like, that's super cool, because this is such a niche pagan thing, and now it's, like, a trend, like, that's, that's cool to me. I mean, people using it as a fashion accessory is obviously not cool, but I don't know. I, I'm very, I think a big difference between me and a lot of occultists is that I'm very pro-internet, like very radically pro-social media and pro-internet. I think it's a good thing in a lot of ways. I think there's a lot of dumbassery, but <laughs> <laughs> like, like, okay, Hex in the Moon. I mean, I think it's actually hilarious, but these TikTok witches are going to end up like being actual witches with time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think the occult has a bright future right now. And there's so much more social acceptance now. Like, obviously, I don't, like, parade around in, like, a towel robe, like, <laughs> doing rituals in the middle of Manhattan. But, I mean, I feel very comfortable being a semi-open occult. Open online. I mean, like, I don't, like, tell people at work, <laughs> like, yeah, after I leave work today, I'm going to summon a demon. But I can be so open about it. I think it's really good. 
Yeah, it's um definitely helped me with my family. Like they're like, what do you do? And they don't know the degree, but they do know that I do things like readings. And for them, it's like, oh, but they see it around. They know it's like a, a thing. And so they don't bother me about it. But I think mm. even five years ago, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Yeah, my family, my family has a really interesting reaction to it because my family is Christian, but they're just glad I'm religious. They're like, <laughs> they're like, you know, at least you're not an atheist. Like, I remember my dad talked to me relatively recently about like the Thelema thing or whatever. And he was like, you know, I'm just so glad you're not an atheist. And I'm like, thanks. Is that accepted? <laughs> it's like, I think it's cool that you're so into religion. I don't agree with anything you think, but I'm glad you're into religion. And I'm like, okay. Wow. <laughs> like, I'm not sure if it's like a positive response. I just find it really funny. Yeah, I think it's funny too, because I think the we're taught to think like if people, if we don't agree with their religious beliefs, that they're going to think we're like, worse because we have some opposite thing whereas in reality people just don't want us to be atheists <laughs> yeah, we're doing I something. Think, yeah i mean i just took it as, as a compliment i was like okay dad thanks i mean i'm glad you're supportive and maybe one day my parents will know i have a podcast but that day has not arrived <laughs> even though this is like become such a, a big thing for me um and a way that i connect with people and yeah, um, any advice for those out there? If you are an online presence in any way, I, I really do recommend doing stuff to try to keep yourself from becoming egregores because there's so it's so easy to see um, happen to other people online pretty quickly within their um, within their platforms or their names just becoming something completely separate than they are. And I just can't recommend that enough. Side note: there broke the fourth wall a little bit. <laughs> no, it's it's important to talk about. I mean, being an online cult creator is a very very weird and specific experience. It's it's strange. I'll just say that it's it's a weird experience. It definitely like morphed my spirituality a bit. Like it definitely changed things for me, like in a positive way. But it's been a weird experience. I'll just say that <laughs> I never. Ex I just I had no idea that I would gain any traction or like become I don't think I'm like important or like that relevant but like I remember the um like some of these people who I had followed for years like the head of Hellenic Union messaging me I was like what the fuck <laughs> like I was like I'm literally a nobody it's it's very weird especially like when people like follow me who I've followed for years and I'm like I'm literally just some random person it's and then people like like see me as a teacher, which is just really jarring to me because I didn't see myself like that. And I'm like, okay, guess that's a thing now. Like when I started this podcast, I actually went and looked back at your earlier episodes and we started our podcast like at the same time, which I think is funny. Um, and then I didn't expect my podcast to like become anything other than just something fun I do, which I do still same. think it is, but it just grew really fast. And I think part of it is podcasts and spirituality and then under that umbrella like the occult or paranormal or whatever anything specific under that it's just a way i think a lot of people connect in general now and get validation for their own experiences that in the standard everyday life would or be completely dismissed so i do think that's part of the reason why also subliminal messaging in your theme songs 
So, well, I mean, we're now the modern media, really people are turning to like YouTube and podcasts and all that. And it's sort of replacing mainstream media in a lot of ways. And I think in in like 20 years, it will like, um, Senator AOC is now a Twitch streamer. Like I it's, oh yeah, she is now streaming on Twitch. She's now doing online content. Content creators are sort of becoming media for people. Like a lot of these like major giants like Netflix are struggling to keep up with like YouTuber ratings. It's sort of becoming a whole sort of media for a lot of people. And a lot of people getting into witchcraft, especially witchcraft, as much as people don't like it, like they're getting their information from YouTube and that's how they're getting all their information which I always tell people in like every video, please do further research and read books. But a lot of people are just not doing that and getting everything from the internet. And so it's, it's really interesting. And I think it's important to have good information and traditions represented because this is where a lot of people are coming. The internet is like social media and content creation is just very powerful in the online spiritual community now, whether we realize it or not. Yeah. And on that note, as we kind of uh, pulled the episode to a close here, because we're at about an hour and a half, where can people oh, find wow. all of your content? Okay. Um, so I host Occultism with a Side of Salt. It's on Spotify and YouTube. I am Dot Darling, D-A-A-T, like the false Sephiroth, not D-O-T. Uh, Darling, like the 1950s sort of like cute pet name. Um, and I'm on YouTube. Patreon. I make content that I can't post on YouTube on Patreon, like more advanced stuff, more heavy topics. Um, I do tarot readings. You can find details for that on my Instagram. And I'm also on Twitter and now TikTok. Um, I think that's everywhere I am. I make a lot of content all the time. I post a podcast every week and um, YouTube at least every other week, sometimes more, sometimes just every other week. And yeah. Well, great. I will link everything for your, everything you mentioned here in the description box below as well. Um, I do like, <laughs> you're like dot, like the, the Sephira, not the. <laughs> oh, yeah. <sorry>. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and I'm Georgina. Georgina Rose. Yes. <laughs> um, if you'd like to find me, you can find me at mothmana.com for information on readings or any of my art or any other of my links as well. I'm on Instagram at mothmanatero, and if you would like to support the podcast and join the hordes in my underworldian city, I'm on Patreon at patreon.com slash mothmana. So thank you, Georgina, for coming on today. This is the part of the podcast where I click stop recording, but I keep talking to you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on.